Hello, and welcome to the Pursuit City Church podcast. Our mission is to lead people to know the love of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will feel encouraged as well as challenged through the Word of God. If you need prayer or want to share your story, please send an email to info at PursuitCC.com. Get ready to enjoy this message. God bless. so much to say and I'm going to do my very best to contain it and not go so long because I know how I can be. Uh, we have things going on today so I know I got to be on time and all that good stuff but I have a lot to share with you this morning. I encourage you uh, to take notes. I'm actually looking into uh, a system where I can upload my notes and you guys can get it like automatically so that we don't have to take notes if you don't want to. Um, but I mean, I literally finished this message like Tuesday. That's how ready I was to preach this message. I finished this thing on Tuesday and uh, it's just been simmering, you know, with me all week long. If you've been here, if you've watched uh, past couple weeks, we've been in a series called Happy Days, right? All about the early church, all about what God did in the beginning with the New Testament church, with the believers that were first introduced to the gospel, those that walked with Jesus, those that sat with Jesus, that ate with Jesus, that got corrected by Jesus, and ultimately ended up serving and dying for his namesake, for preaching the gospel. Uh, and so we've marched through the book of Acts. How many of you enjoyed learning about the book of Acts? Amen. We talked about miracles, we talked about what God did with those men, and we talked about just the, the big events, kind of the highlights. We can't get into every crevice of these books because we would be here all year on the book of Acts. And likewise, today we're going to dive into the book of Romans. I'm going to do the impossible or attempt to do the impossible. This is literally probably the most difficult book in the Bible to read next to the book of Revelation. Uh, because there's so much depth to it, so much theological insight to it. But I'm going to try. So you need to pray for me this morning. Can y'all pray for me this morning? All right. Do that for me this morning. I'm going to talk about the book of Romans, and I'm subtitling this week's message, The Ransom. The book of Romans is pretty deep. It's pretty, man, it's heavy. Okay, and to understand Romans, you have to understand Paul. So let me tell you a little bit about Paul. We studied Paul last week when Saul became Paul, right? When he had his Damascus Road encounter. Saul, uh, as he was called, was a Jewish leader with rabbinic training, which meant by the time he was 12 years old, he would have had to memorize the entire first five books of the Bible by heart and recite them. He was trained in the word of God, he was trained in the Torah. He was trained to know God in a very deep way through the scripture. But we also know that Paul was trilingual. He spoke Greek, he spoke Hebrew, he spoke Aramaic. This dude was probably one of the most brilliant minds of the early church. He was just full of information and knowledge. He was alive when Jesus was alive, okay? He walked the earth when Jesus walked the earth. And some people believe, some scholars believe that it is very possible that Paul was present when Christ was crucified. 
Paul was ultimately executed and beheaded by Rome for preaching the gospel. This man was the man that the priest said was our chief officer to go and execute everyone who worshiped Jesus. And then Jesus encounters Saul on the Damascus road and changes his heart, gives him new eyes, gives him a new calling, completely transforms his life. And now because of Paul, we have so much of the New Testament. I think it's like two thirds of the New Testament was written by Paul. Without Paul, there's so much we would be missing. So here was Paul's ministry. Paul preached Christ and Christ alone. There was so much depth to what Paul was saying, but at the same time, there was so much simplicity because the, the, the heart of his message, the, the fullness of his message was that you needed Jesus and nothing else. Quit trying to add things to your life that won't bring you closer to Jesus. Quit trying to do things that on the outward may look good, but they won't bring you closer to Jesus. Closer to someone. He did not preach his personal experience in order to minister to someone. Paul preached against self-salvation by law-keeping or doing good deeds. There were so many people back then that believed, and even today, that they could get saved by how much they did. That they could be saved by doing good. That somehow their good deeds cancel out the bad deeds. He said, you can't save yourself. You need a savior. You need Jesus. He preached that evil is real and influential, but it is fleeting. One day the, the enemy will be gone. One day the devil will be no more. But in this moment, in this time, the devil is very much real. Evil is very much real and you need to be on guard. He also preached that you can gain access to the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, you can walk in power. See, so many people don't understand why they're so afflicted, why they're so tormented, why they're so beaten up all the time, and they feel like they're constantly being pushed down by the world or the enemy. It's because you're not walking in the Spirit. Your power doesn't come from you. Let me just give you a big news flash. You don't have the strength to overcome anything. Isn't that encouraging on a Sunday morning? You don't have the strength or ability to beat anything. I don't care how disciplined you are, how self-willed you are, how many books you read on self-help. You don't have the power. You get the power through the Holy Spirit. You follow me so far? In the book of Romans chapter 16 and verse 20, it says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan. Where? Under your feet. Can you do that without the Holy Spirit? Can you do that without him? Can you do that on your own? No, no, no. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet because when you walk in power every step that you take completely annihilates the plan of the enemy 
But when you walk in your own strength, when you walk in your own identity, your own self-help, your own self-salvation, <laughs> you can't do anything. You've got no power. All you have is your own strength, your own power. And so there is a theme in the book of Romans, and the theme is redemption. See, the logic of redemption requires that a price or a ransom be paid for a prisoner's release. The price was the life of Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all. You see, here's the picture, and we're going to read it in a second. When you are lost, when you're not saved, when you're in the world and you're serving your own flesh and desires, you are, by definition, a slave to your sin. By biblical definition, in all intensive purposes, you are literally a slave to your flesh. You are a slave to your sin. You can't say no to any temptation. You can't say no to anybody uh, when they ask you to do something that's not right. You can't say no to bad things. Uh, these are, there, there are good people who are walking in this kind of lifestyle. Good people who might even have grown up in the church who are living a lifestyle where they cannot say no because they are literally a slave to their sin. They, they don't know how to resist. They don't know how to push back against the enemy. They don't know how to worship God and trust him and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so because of this situation, God said, I need to redeem people. I need to rescue them. So we need to send someone to cover their debt. So Jesus was put up as a ransom. You follow me? Jesus is put up as a ransom. He lays his life down, covers your debt, covers my debt so that we can have a chance to be free. You follow me this morning? And so here's what it says in 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. It says, first of all, then I urge, this is Paul writing to Timothy. First of all, then I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Who? All people. For kings and all who are in high positions, that they may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God really desires that everyone should be saved. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I am not lying a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. See, Paul is letting Timothy know. Jesus was set up as a ransom. We need to preach Jesus, preach Jesus. Don't do anything else, Timothy, except preach Jesus because Jesus is the one who gave his life so that we could have one. So there's another theme in the book of Romans, and it's about the cross. It's about the cross of Jesus. Now, if you read the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy, we don't have it, so don't worry about going there. But in Deuteronomy 21, 23, it says, anyone who hangs on a tree is under God's curse. 
so interesting that in one of the oldest books that we have, there was already a scripture highlighting the fact that anyone who hangs on a tree is under God's curse. So you know what's interesting about this? This is very important. This explains why Jewish leaders pressed that Jesus would be crucified under a Roman death. See, think about this. They knew that if Jesus was convicted, that he would automatically be crucified under Roman law and it would be proof to their eyes, it would be proof that Jesus was not God's messianic deliverer. Because their strategy was, everyone knows that if someone hangs on a tree, they're under God's curse. So let's make sure everyone knows this man is cursed. Let's push for a Roman conviction, a crucifixion, so that all can see that he's under God's curse. This strategy backfired. You see, this strategy was meant to make Jesus look bad, but actually this is exactly what needed to happen. Yes, Jesus became cursed. The Bible is very clear on this. Jesus became the curse to remove the curse off of us. See, their strategy completely backfired. They thought it would let the whole world know that somehow Jesus wasn't who he said he was. But in all actuality, what it did was it made sure that his blood was spilled for a good reason. And he took the curse of God on him and took it off of us. That's the point. Jesus became a curse for us so that the blessings given to Abraham might come to us. You see, God gave Abraham a blessing, a huge blessing. We don't got time to get into it, but it was a massive blessing. And that blessing was meant to pass down to every generation, to every believer, but it stopped with the Jews until Jesus came and he broke all curses. And now every blessing that was given to Abraham is upon your life and your life and my life and your children's life. Because when you walk with the Lord, you walk with Abraham's blessing because of the ransom Jesus paid. Are you following me this morning? So why am I telling you all this? I always like to ask that question. What's the point? Paul's message is not rightly comprehended when it does not result in transformation. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to say it in a more plain way. You haven't really understood the book of Romans until it's changed you. You haven't really understood the message of Jesus as ransom until it's transformed you. You see, if you truly understand this book, if you truly understand what's in this word, it forces transformation. You can't read this and truly believe this without changing, without transforming, without becoming more like him. The byproduct, the result 
of learning this always produces fruit, and that fruit is called change. There have been many, many atheists who attempted to disprove the Bible. So they went and started reading the Bible. And guess what happened when they dug that this book is they met the Holy Spirit. And they realized that this book is alive and that it speaks and that it's real. And once they started putting the puzzle pieces together, you get theologians who were once atheists. <laughs> you get men who become teachers. You get Saul to Paul conversions. And so because Saul was so dramatically transformed into Paul, when you read this, there's no other thing that can happen to you except the same thing. Because his transformation was so powerful that his words create transformation. So I'm going to say that again. Paul's message is not rightly comprehended when it does not result into transformation of behavior, both privately and corporately. You see, here's the thing about people. Uh, my, my dad used to tell me, everybody has a good idea until you throw people in the mix. People mess everything up. <laughs> Isn't that true? We all have great ideas. Oh, I think this will work. And then three people get involved. Why are you doing it that way? You know, like this is just what, what happens. You know, everybody has their own ideas and opinions and does it differently. But people are very good at being one way corporately and another way privately. See, what I learned growing up was that if you are a public success and a private failure, you're a failure. If you are a public success and everybody on the outside can tell you're awesome, but when you're alone and you're in private and those who really know you can tell that you're not who you, everyone thinks you are, that is called a failure. That is called a chameleon. That is called someone who hasn't been transformed by the gospel. You've heard it, so you know how to act, but you haven't transformed by it. You haven't digested it. You haven't let it change you. You know what this is called? Go ahead and throw that next one up. A pseudo-Christian. A pseudo-Christian is someone who confesses God but lives a very indifferent moral life. You might confess God. You might say God is real, but demons know he's real too. That's not enough. You might say, oh yeah, Jesus is real. The Holy Spirit's real, but all of hell knows that too. They've messed with it before. A pseudo-Christian is someone who lives their life how they want to, and then they come to church and go, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do. Live my hands, clap, send my kids to kids' church. How'd you do? Okay, good. You learned about Jesus. We're all good. Everybody go home. And through the week, there's no relationship. Through the week, there's no learning. There's no growth. Through the week, there's no desire to know God. That's a pseudo-Christian. Still Christian. You might even make it to heaven. Congratulations, you made it. But I don't want to live my life just to coast it 
just to make sure I make it. See, I have a clear calling on my life that I need to make an impact here and now in this life. Because one day I'm going to stand before God and he's going to ask me, what did you do? What did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with your gifts? What did you do with your talents? What did you do with your message? What did you do with your life? And if I can't clearly say, hey, I obeyed you and I did your will, then I'm in trouble. See ya up there. Okay. See, I want... I want the big mansion next to the taqueria up there, okay? I don't want that little hut over there next to somebody that thinks they knows how to cook. I want the good stuff. See, I, I got motives, okay? I just, I got motives. Listen, Christ didn't die so you can fake it. Christ didn't die so you could impress me. I don't need to be impressed by you. Christ didn't die so you can fake it. Christ didn't die so you could just come to church and be happy with that. I'm glad that you're here. I am so glad to see your face. I'm glad to have human interaction. I'm glad that we're open and not closed. I'm glad that everyone is here. But I hope you aren't satisfied with just coming here. Christ didn't die for that. See, Christ died for your transformation. Christ died so that you can change. People say, oh, what, you trying to change me? <laughs> yes. We all need to be changed. Why is that such a problem? Oh, they're always trying to tell me what to do. That's because what you're doing ain't working. Oh, they're always trying to tell me, you know, what, what God says and his laws and his rules. That's because it's God. And if we're really Christians, if we really serve him, we desire transformation. We don't shun it. Romans 12.1. This is the appeal that Paul makes to all believers. Are you ready for this? You've all read this. But now from this angle, understand it. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not, everybody say, do not. No, 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 y'all can do that better. Do not be conformed to this world. But be what? Transformed. Don't be conformed. Be transformed. We're still trying to live our life, trying to look and act like everything. Say trads and fans. That's weird. Um, all that is are trends and fads. Those are things that pass away. Live your life to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So how do you get renewed? How do you get transformed? You get renewed in your mind. You see, this is where it starts. You might think, oh, well, I have my ways and that's just how I choose to live my life. Very good. You're alone. 
You're, you're, you're conforming to whatever way that this world has to offer for you. But he's saying you need to be transformed. You need to change your ways by the renewal of your mind that by testing you, see people are like, oh, wow, God's always trying to test me. Yes, yes. You wanna go through this life and not go through anything, not be challenged, not be tested, not be told to change. You're living in Neverland. Just call yourself Peter Pan. That you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Everybody comes to me and says, what is the purpose for my life? What is the will of God for my life? My first thought is, well, have they been transformed yet? Because if you have been transformed, your mind is ready to be learning the will of God for your life. When you get transformed, when you get renewed, when your mind is changed and your mind is transformed, you're ready for the will of God for your life. But until then, you can't handle it. There's no way you can say yes to the will of God for your life if your mind has not been renewed and transformed. You follow me so far? So what's the point? You must be transformed. Bottom line. You wanna grow, you wanna go deeper with God, you want things to change in your actual life, not just your external life. We all want more money. We all want more cars. We all want more houses, but none of that really matters. What we really need is transform. And we don't get more of him unless we're be willing to transform. You follow me this morning. I know I'm yelling at you, but I've been yelling at myself all week, so just take it. <laughs> Send it. Listen, the book of Romans can be confusing, and I challenge you this week to go and read it cover to cover. The book of Romans can be confusing because it's very heavy and it's very deep and it's intellectually challenging. Some people call it boring. <laughs> Um, so why read it, right? Why read it? Well, here's the thing. The book of Romans have set ablaze some of the most important spiritual leaders and revivalists in history. The book of Romans did exactly what it said it would do to people like Augustine, Martin Luther, John Wesley, John Calvin, and so many more. There were revivals that broke out in England and America, all over the world because people started reading the book of Romans and realized, I need to change, I need to be transformed. Because the book of Romans attacks some of the most important and pressing issues that still are vital to the church today, okay? Some of the stuff we're seeing in our world happen today, it's ancient guys, it just kind of, you know, the enemy does this, he comes back full circle, he tries to bring everyone back into a lifestyle that is not of God, right? And so what we're seeing today is actually something that has happened over and over throughout history. And so uh, there are lifestyles and, and things like that that uh, the book of Romans talks about, but it talks about grace, it talks about redemption, it talks about creation, it talks about homosexuality and all types of sin. Here's the point, why read the book? Why read Romans? Why study this? Paul basically explains that the good news is so good 
because the bad news is so bad. If you've paid attention at all to what's going on in our country right now and all the bills that are trying to pass and everything they're trying to shove down people's throats, it's bad news. It's bad news. And it's really bad. But that's why we need this. The good news is so good because the bad news is so bad. I don't know about you, but I don't want to have to raise my kids in a place where they have to ask which restroom they can go into. Where they're already asking, is that a man or a woman? And I don't have an answer for them. So you think this is new because we're seeing it rise up. It's not new. This has been happening for generations and centuries before us. Let's read what the book of Romans says about all this. Romans 1.18 says, but God shows us his anger from heaven against all sinful, everybody say all. Wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, they know the truth of, about God because he has made it obvious to them. Everybody say obvious. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse. Everybody say no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. This is such an interesting section of scripture, but it points to everything that we go through as a society. See, this is when humanism comes into full effect. Anybody know what humanism is? Maybe a couple of people do. Go ahead and throw that up. Humanism, what is humanism? Humanism is a system of thought attaching prime importance to human rather than divine supernatural matters. Let's say that again. A system of thought attaching prime importance to human supernatural matters, not divine human supernatural matters, okay? It, in other words, humanity is king, humanity is God. The human body is the idol. You follow me yet? This is humanism. Uh, another term for it is secular humanism, okay? It goes really deep. It goes, it's really dark. And when I was in school, we, we, we did all this psychological stuff and one of the darkest things I ever studied was secular humanism. I'm like, wait, so I'm a God? Yeah, pretty much. The human body, the human mind is a God in our generation. It has been a God for many generations before us. And secular humanism or humanism in its fullness is present right here in what the scripture's about to say. You ready? Verse 24, it says, so God abandoned them to do 
whatever shameful things their hearts desires. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things of God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy and eternal, worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even when women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other and the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women burned for lust with each other, men did shameful things with other men. And the result of sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Women do the things they, sh- they thought it foolish to acknowledge God. He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do the things they sh- that should have never been done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. Whoa, that's what he gave them over to? That sounds like America. (laughs) I mean, that sounds like what we live in every day. What do you mean? Greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip? Those things oftentimes you can find in the church. Does that put it into perspective? What humanism does. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. I love the fact that this is thrown in there with that, like disobedient to their parents, because I'm just going to keep throwing that at my kids. You don't want to be sinful and wicked now, do you? (laughs) Obey me. Anybody feel me on that? Any parents in the house feel me on that? Okay, you got a scripture now. Take them through the book of Romans, please. You want to be disobedient? I got a 42-inch belt to help with that. Mm Mm-hmm. And everybody said, amen. Oh, oh, it's okay. I got some extra belts if y'all need it. Verse 31, they refuse to understand. They break their promises and are heartless and have no mercy. And this is the hardest part right here. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. If that is not a picture of our generation, you need to wake up because that's exactly what we're seeing. Right now, they're trying to pass one of the most heinous bills where it would literally make it criminal criminal for me to tell someone that they should not live a homosexual lifestyle. It would be criminal. Go look it up. This is what happens when humanism is in full effect. The scripture exposes humanism. Listen. Homosexuality isn't the problem. It's the byproduct. It's the result. Sin is the problem. It's just one of the most biggest issues right now because it's being shoved down everyone's throat. Like this is normal, this is okay. 
But if you've seen it all, what's going on and who Biden's trying to pick for his appointees and all this stuff, it's scary. It's straight up Twilight Zone version level scary. I'm like, what is happening? Paul, by this time, has seen gay people. He has seen them, met them, walked with them, and he has seen them break free from that lifestyle. See, why do you think he's writing, be transformed by the renewing of your mind? You think that's just for everyday people that struggle with, you know, um, I yelled too much at my child. No, 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 he's writing for the person. Some of y'all are like, yeah, that's pretty good, right? <laughs> he's writing for the person that is struggling and identifying with things that they have no business identifying with. And he's writing to these people who are deep in sin. They know the truth and they can't escape. So he writes this book that is meant to transform their lives. Like, look, you don't have to live that way. Let me tell you what sin looks like. And so he lists it off. But they become obedient to Christ. He sees them transform. He sees them come to God and become obedient to Christ. This life-giving force can empower people to break free from sin's chains and live pure lives with God. See, here's what the modern tendency is right now. The modern tendency is to condone and tolerate homosexuality. That's the modern tendency. But the modern tendency to condone and tolerate homosexuality is a denial of God's creation. His law and his power through the cross of Jesus to loosen the grip of sin. If we really believe that Jesus died for our sins to loose us and free us from our sin, we can't stand by and tolerate and condone that sin because it's sensitive and it's a big issue. We would tell you in a heartbeat, you shouldn't be an alcoholic. We would tell you in a heartbeat, you shouldn't be a thief. We would tell you in a heartbeat, you shouldn't be a murderer. But all those things were grouped in there with homosexuality. Why do we not clearly say, hey, look, God loves you. He wants you out of that lifestyle. You know why? Because the world has told us that you should be afraid to confront it. The world has told us that you aren't loving if you don't confront it. No, the most loving thing you can do is tell someone the truth. The most loving thing you can do is point someone to the truth. What's the truth? Jesus is the truth. His word is the truth. Listen, I have family who are gay. Cheryl has family who are gay. They are amazing people. You know what frustrates me? Some of the most talented, gifted people who are leaders, they're in the gay community. It's like the enemy picked some of the best people and said, no, 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 I'm gonna go have you do this over here. They're in that lifestyle. And man, they know how to manage money. They're business owners. I grew up, let me just give you a quick background. I know I'm, I'm already in that vein, I'm almost done. Don't hate on me yet. I can speak on this. 
When I grew up, my parents owned several businesses. One of the businesses they owned was a beauty supply business. Now, if you've ever been around beauty supply shops, beauty, beauty things like that, there are gay people everywhere. When I was a kid, I grew up going to work with my parents. There were gay people everywhere. I love these people. The, the hairdresser, while he was doing his sales calls to all the, the hairdressers, gay or not, he would witness to all of them. And he saw several people who were gay get saved because he didn't let that bother him. And it should bother you. It's a sin like any other sin. It's not a greater sin. It's a sin like any other sin. It's an issue that needs to be dealt with, but the world has made it seem like it's an untouchable subject to talk about because it's sensitive. No, no, no. All sin is sensitive. All sin can send you to hell. My sin, if I don't deal with it, can send me to hell. But I want to be transformed. The problem is we have told our generation they're not allowed to be transformed. We need to just let them stay that way and hope that, you know, everything gets all good. Listen, there are people in my life, there are people in my wife's life that when every opportunity arises, we will talk about the Lord because they need it. They don't need to be told it's okay to stay that way. They need to be told that Jesus wants to transform them because that's what this says. We just got done reading all these scriptures about being transformed and we celebrated it and said, yes, I want to be transformed. Oh, that one. Can we really talk about that one? We have to because if we don't, who will? If we don't, how will our kids learn? How can they stand up for the truth if we won't? Are you with me so far this morning? I realize this is a heavier topic. It doesn't matter what the sin is. Sin has a stronghold on the human will. We just like to pick and choose the ones that we want to kill. To be honest, that's what the church has done for so many years. I've done it before. I'm guilty of that. Oh, let's not talk about this. We love that person no matter what. We don't want them to you know, feel like they, we're making them change. No, 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 no. Transformation is the point in all ways, from all walks of life, from all backgrounds. There's a reason someone walks and lives in a lifestyle of sin, no matter what the sin is, something happened to them, something got into their life, something damaged them. And because of that, what does the Bible say the result of sin is? Death. We don't want them to die. We don't want them to go to hell. There's a real hell. If we don't tell them the truth, how can they know? If we don't tell them the truth, we don't really love them. And so I'm telling every single one of us here today, Get rid of all greed in your life. Get rid of all hate in your life. Get rid of unforgiveness in your life. Unforgiveness is that thing that everybody in church thinks it's okay to have. You are not supposed to be unforgiving. What did Jesus say? If you don't forgive them, I won't forgive you. There might be people who struggle with homosexuality in heaven, but there won't be people in heaven who won't forgive others. Let that sink in for a second. You need to learn how to forgive. You need to learn how to let your pride go. 
you can't say amen, say ouch. I love this next point. God's word is best when it seems, even when it seems to be the most difficult choice. God's word is always best. You really want to know what God says about something? Go to his word. I'll always be here to help you, but you have got to learn for yourself. I read something earlier this week that somebody said, and it was pretty clear, pretty simple. Somebody asked the question, uh, what happens when I feel like I haven't been fed and I'm always serving in church and you know, I, I don't feel like I'm getting fed enough? And the pastor responded, grownups feed themselves. If you can't say amen, say ouch. Babies need to be fed. Children need help cutting their food, but grownups feed themselves. They know when they're hungry and they know how to put food in their mouth. If you're a grown-up spiritually, feed yourself. Don't be malnourished. I would love to sit down and teach you everything I know. We simply couldn't do that. You have got to learn to feed yourself. You're tired, you're burned out, you wore out, go feed yourself. Go get some nutrition. Go get into the presence of God. You don't know how to answer these tough questions. Throw that back up there. God's word, even when it's the most difficult, is the best choice. But you won't know how to lead people to the right choice if you don't know God's word. Go read it. Go digest it. Look, it's wrong to single out the gay community like they're the problem. They're not the problem. They're not the problem. They are just living what they believe is the right way. And so many people have just let it slide that they are so empowered now that now they're trying to tell you it's criminal to tell them they're wrong. It's not their fault. They're not the problem. They are not the worst or the most sinful people. But at the same time, we cannot make concessions for them. We cannot make concessions for any sin because we are all going to be judged. Romans 3.19 says, says this, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Listen, all of us are gonna be held accountable to God. Not just one kind of sin that we go, oh, that's kind of dirty. No, no, no. All sin is dirty. All sin is wrong. All sin is dirty. Don't single one community out. Don't single one thing out. That just might be what is your hot button issue, but it's not the only hot button issue. Christ. But we miss the glory of his goodness if we downplay the darkness of the human condition. The world is dark. That's why I don't let my kids on the internet. My kids don't have tablets. My kids don't have phones. It's too easy. They already know how to get on the internet. 
That's why there are passwords on all our TVs. You can't get into my TV without a password. And they're constantly trying to trick us into giving the password. If we downplay the darkness of the human condition, we miss the glory of his goodness. The actual diagnosis of humanity is grim. And truthfully, God's wrath is inevitable. This all sounds great, right? So is there hope at all? Here's the question. Is there hope? Right now, it doesn't feel like it so much. I'm wondering, is there hope at all? Of course there is, but it's not how you think. See, people often believe that if we do enough good deeds, we will cancel out all the bad. So that's what every community does when they recognize they have a sin issue. They go, but we do this and we do that and we do this and we do that. And they justify their sin by what they do for others. And that's all good and great. You're supposed to help others. But Romans rejects that idea. Instead, it offers us the true hope for humanity. Grace. Romans introduces this beautiful word, this idea that is perpetuated throughout the New Testament because of Paul, the idea of grace. And grace means that Christ has entered our lives, not because we deserved it or earned it, but because we accept him. Listen, grace is getting what you don't deserve. Grace is receiving what you couldn't earn. But listen, grace will diminish sin, but it won't promote it. When we say we have grace on people, it doesn't mean we accept their sin. It means we accept them. It doesn't mean we love their sin. It means we love them. We love the person, we hate the sin. We love the sinner, we hate the sin. That's how I got saved. I was living an immoral life. I was living an impure life, growing up in church all my life, hearing about God all my life, Bible school, reading this book cover to cover every single year, doing reports. I knew the word inside and out by the time I was 13 years old and I believe God wasn't real. So I live my life the way I want it to with whoever I want it to. And one day I got smacked in the face with the presence of God. And I recognized in a moment how real God was. I recognized in a moment that he could speak to me. I recognized in a moment how heavy and dark my sin was because someone told me my whole life to flee from sin, to run from all kinds of immorality, all kinds of sexual immorality, to run from it, not condone it, not pacify it, not tolerate it, flee from it. That's what the scripture says. And because I knew that in my spirit, when I got saved, I cut loose of everything, every kind of influence that was trying to pull me down. And I told God, if you don't want this in my life, I'll make a way for it to be removed. I remember standing in an ocean. And the next day I started getting phone calls of people who were upset with me and leaving my life. 
And I said, thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. See, I started right then and there learning how to praise God for things because I saw him work like that as soon as I got saved. I turned my life around. I gave my life to him. And you know what? From that day forward, he has been transforming me every single day. Y'all can go ahead. Grace, put it back up. Grace will diminish sin, but it won't promote it. If anyone tries to use grace as a way to pacify sin, they're not using grace the biblical way. Grace will never, ever promote sin. It diminishes it. It kills it. It squashes it. How does this happen? How do we find grace? Well, truthfully, the answer is already in what we already read. Let's go back to Romans 12.1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. How many of you want to be accepted by God? If you want to be accepted by God, you have to be holy which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. How do you receive this grace? Don't conform to this world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You can't accept grace until your mind gets transformed. You don't know how to handle it. How do you receive that grace? By the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. You can't determine what is good and acceptable and perfect until you're transformed. And grace is good, it's acceptable, it is perfect. Until you allow the Holy Spirit to transform you, you won't understand true grace. Because if you think grace is there to give you a free pass, because I messed up 30 times in a row, you're missing the point. Grace is there to help you eradicate sin. So we come full circle and we actually find our freedom in surrender. (laughs) You see, this is what you don't understand about the gospel. Follow me. How do you gain true freedom? How do you get truly free? You surrender. You stop being in control. If you think freedom is control, you've missed it. Freedom is surrender. Freedom is saying, here you go, God. I am yours. Here you go. Take my life. Do with it what you want. I told God when I got saved, I don't want to be a boring Christian. I met a bunch of those growing up. We sat in the same pew every Sunday morning for 20 years. I said, man, that pew started to look like my butt. It's got the imprint. I grew up the same way every single week, doing the same thing, going to the same place, hearing the same songs over and over and over. And I thought church was boring. I thought Christians were boring. So when I got saved, I said, Lord, I don't want to be boring. Am I boring, Ramon? Am I boring, Ramon? See, he's got to know, I'll hit, I'll hit you. I hit you in the ball. I grew up and I said, Lord, I just want to be used to whatever you want with me. 
But man, if we tell people, oh, you can be saved, but you can stay that way, we're telling them that they are God. We're not telling them to serve the real God because the real God says, surrender. The real God says, be transformed. The real God says, get rid of the sin. The real God says, you give me your sin, I'll give you my grace. I'll give you my mercy. The real God says, I'm gonna take this away. Paul concludes Romans full circle, how he began it with Jesus alone. You can't tell me that Christ died so people can stay the same way forever. Christ died so that transformation would be the primary focus of the believer. Every day you should wake up going, God, how am I gonna be transformed today? Do you like staying the same way every day? Huh? Do you like staying the same? I mean, some of us, we're apathetic, so we're okay staying the same way. But man, if you, if you are living, if you are breathing, you want things to change. You want things to get better. You want things to progress, don't you? I got one amen. That must have been good. Listen, I don't care what your issues are. I don't care what's, what your sin is. I don't care if it's lust, if it's money, if it's pride, if it's anger, if it's gossip, if it's unforgiveness, okay? I don't care if it's sexual immorality. I don't care if it's hatred. I don't care if you have something against another person. Whatever that thing is, it needs to be surrendered to God. Jesus gave himself as a ransom for you and your sins. You cannot go on sinning the way you did before if you wanna follow Christ. You cannot go on living the way you did before. You cannot go on any longer being a pseudo-Christian. You must present your body as a living sacrifice. It's amazing to me that Paul uses this analogy, presenting your body. He didn't literally mean give me your physical body. He's saying, give me your life. Give me the entirety of who you are. It's an interesting thing because the world is telling you the exact same thing. Give us your body. Hello? The enemy's doing the exact same thing. We're gonna change the body. We're gonna morph it. We're gonna exclude this and exclude that. We're gonna change it. And here's the scripture is saying, no, 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 you gotta sacrifice your body. You gotta lay it down. You want true transformation? Lay it all down. Your body, your life, everything about you, your future, lay down your life, lay down your body, completely sacrificed to the Lord. It means you present yourself to God in full capacity. So whatever your issues were, whatever your sins were, in response for your surrender, you get freedom, you get joy. You get peace, you get grace, you get mercy, you get love, 
you get health spiritually, you get true spiritual happiness, you get true spiritual wealth, like everything that you gave up, God gives you better in return. You follow me this morning? You know, there's a lot of things in this world. If you wanna go learn something, you can go learn it. Just get on the internet, you can go learn, you go to the bookstore. You wanna learn how to build a house. I wanna learn to be like Alex. I'm gonna go build a house. Let me go learn how to build a house. You wanna learn how to put a garden together. Let me go, let me go be like Miss Arlene. I'm gonna go put a garden together. Let me go buy a book. I can get online and watch a YouTube video. Anything we wanna learn, there are resources on how to learn it, how to grow in that area, how to get better. You know, you can get a YouTube degree in about three years. You just be good. But you know, there's not that many resources on how to surrender to God. Here's your resource. Here's your resource. Listen to all the sermons you can. Listen to all the podcasts you can. Listen to all the YouTube you can. But man, don't replace this resource. This is your resource. I'll close with this, because I know y'all looking at me with hungry eyes. Some of y'all are like, yeah, brother, be quiet already. <laughs> this week was a very interesting week for me. Like I said earlier, I finished my message by Tuesday. I was like, wow, that was soon, that was fast. Usually it's not till like Friday. And then those of you know, I was off for a couple weeks because I had the Rona and I stayed away. And so I felt like I had been away for so long. Wednesday's my normal day off and I was like, I don't want to take a day off. I've been off forever. I need to go. I need to go like read some more, pray some more, whatever, go to the church, do some things. So I came in on Wednesday, which is my normal day off and I'm studying and I'm reading. Then all of a sudden I felt like the need to just stop and pray. So I get up, I go sit down, I start praying. I was like, man, okay. I'm like feeling like I need to just follow the Lord in something like, okay. So I lay on the floor and I fall asleep. Anybody done that before? <laughs> you mean to go pray and you get like the disciples and you pass out? Yeah, I fell asleep for like 10 minutes. <laughs> I was like, and I woke up. I was like, oh, and I'm like laying on the floor looking at the ceiling, like what happened? Then I hear God speak to me extremely clear. Those of you that have been in the city groups, we've been talking about hearing God's voice. We've been talking about obedience, right? We were talking about Joseph, extreme obedience. Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm hearing God and he tells me, the first thing he tells me, you've been very disobedient. Well, that hurts. How? How? Like, what, what are you talking about? I try to do everything I can to obey. <laughs> and y'all are gonna laugh. He said, you've been disobedient because I've asked you several times to go on a fast and you didn't do it. Now, those of you who know, I love food. I don't like to fast. I hate fasting. I love food. So when he said that, I was like, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. There have been multiple times 
where God said, you need to go on a fast. And I said, yeah, 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 I'll do it like on this day or that day. And that day never comes around, I never do it. I completely, and I even started negotiating right there. Yeah, I'll start March 1st. That's a good time to start a fast at the beginning of the month. No, no. And I'm literally like, whoa, this is serious. Clear as day, he says, you need to start your fast tomorrow and you're not gonna eat until I say so. Yeah, uh, if you can't say amen, say ouch. I was saying ouch for like 20 minutes. I was saying all the spiritual cuss words I could think of. Like, holy cow, I can't eat no more cow. And so I go home, I tell Cheryl, and I love Cheryl. She always asks the most obvious questions. She said, so what are you praying for? I don't know. <laughs> How long are you gonna fast? He said until, he said so. She said, well, that's a really strange fast. I said, yeah, I know, it hurts. She said, well, what are you gonna do? Like the Daniel fast? I said, no, water. What? Just liquid? Yep, just liquid. I can't eat anything. Are you serious? I was like, yeah, I know. She's like, you hate fasting. I said, I know. About to cry. I'm like, I don't want to do that. So that night I made myself some beef fajita tacos. I got the flour tortilla, the avocado. I ate good Wednesday night, y'all. I barbecue. I was like, ooh, I'm going to eat good tonight. Because I don't know how long this is going to last. That might be days. I'm going to fall apart. Thursday comes around. I kid you not, Thursday and Friday, I felt amazing. I was shocked. I've fasted a lot before in my past, don't judge me. But there was something different about this. God was speaking to me so clear, Thursday, Friday, like, like just clear. And I was like, what is going on? And I had already put my message together, but he started just kind of highlighting things. You realize this and he realized that just kind of personal stuff. I said, yeah, I know, I know, I know. And he was just kind of reminding me of things and long story short, I didn't eat all day Thursday, didn't eat all day Friday. And God said, Friday tonight, you can be released from the fast. And let me tell you why and why I had you do this. He said, I want you to get closer to me. He said, the reason for this, I just want you to get closer to me. I have fasted in the past for God to do a miracle in my life. I have fasted in the past for money. I have fasted in the, in, the, in the past to get rid of debt. I have fasted and prayed so we can get this building and other buildings. And every time God came through, every time, one time he wiped out $30,000 in debt in a month. God has done miracles every time I've fasted and prayed, but I've never fasted and prayed just to get closer to him. I said, wow, I'm so used to praying and fasting to get something. He said, I want you to pray and fast just to get me. I am your reward, Matt. I was like, wow, okay. He said, but the fast ends tonight. Friday night, we were gonna go on a date and Cheryl said, I don't wanna go on a date with you while you're fasting. You're mean when you're fasting. <laughs> Man, she knows me well. She said, you're gonna be hangry. What are you gonna do, watch me eat? I said, I guess, maybe I should bring some glasses, put them on. She said, you're just gonna be fasting during our date? I said, I guess, I don't know. 
But Friday, God said, no, 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 your, your fast is over. And then I'll tell you the next part in a minute. But so Friday night, we already had a date scheduled. Leanne and Steven had offered to watch our kids. Y'all remember that city group? They were like, hey, we'll watch your kids. I said, Friday. They were like, oh. <laughs> I said, hey, you said it. I'm just, you know, be, you know. And Steven was like, that was pretty fast, dude. I was like, yeah. He's like, yeah, anytime you want us to watch your kids. I said, three days from now. You got it. <laughs> and so Leanne said, yeah, we'll watch the kids. On my way, I picked up the pizza. Man, it smelled so good. Oh, my God. I was going to tear that box apart. I picked up the pizza. Malachi and Joel were in the back of the truck. We're on our way to Stephen and Leanne's to drop them off so that me and Cheryl could go on a date. On the way there, Joel looks at me. Dad, my stomach hurts. I'm like, you're hungry, dude. Like, you're always hungry. You're like me. I know how that feels. He said, no, my stomach really hurts. I was like, what's wrong with you? His face just turned colors. I said, oh, Jesus. I rolled down the window. I said, out the window, out the window. He looks at me, get, threw up in my back seat. This is an awesome way to close a message. Can I get some right there? Awesome way to close a message. He threw up in my back seat all over the place. Like, Lord, help me. What is, oh, no. I was like, oh, man. And our rule is very simple. One of our kids throw up, we keep them home. You don't know if they've got a bug. You don't know what they pulled home from school or if they just drank too much Hawaiian punch. <laughs> the red stuff all over my car. Oh my God. By the way, don't get in my truck for like a month, anybody. So he throws up. I'm at the light. I can't do anything. I'm just stuck there. I'm like, oh. We got to turn around. So I turn around, go home. Cheryl gets home. She's like, what happened? I tell her, I'm like, oh man. And then I start telling her, this is what God said. And I'm, I'm thankful because my kids were there. They got to hear what God was saying to me. You know, we weren't just by ourselves in some restaurant. We were home eating the pizza. Joel had to take a shower, wash all his clothes. It was disgusting. But they got to hear what God had said to me. I said, this is what God said that I needed to do. Every Thursday from now until eternity, I'm fasting. That I needed to make a lifestyle change. I've gotten too fat physically, <laughs> but I need to make a lifestyle change. And every Thursday I'm gonna fast, I'm gonna pray. Then he told me this, he said, you need to teach a church how to fast. In all the years we've existed, I've never had the church fast. And in fact, I always hated every time, every year, at the beginning of the year, the church would make everybody go on a 21 day Daniel fast. And we're all arguing on what a Daniel fast looks like. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Everybody's arguing, but what does that look like? Well, can you eat this? Can you eat that? Well, it's not bread, brother. Well, that is bread. Well, only if it's kind of like this and kind of like, look, I'm gonna teach y'all what fasting really looks like. Okay, and we're gonna do it together. And I'll post it soon. I don't know what, what day we're gonna start yet, but I'm gonna pick a day and I'll let y'all know. And as a church, we're gonna go on a 21 day fast because I want our church to draw closer to the Lord. I want everyone here to constantly be in the presence of God. How do you combat all that's going on in the darkness of the world? You get into the presence of God and you don't leave. Holy, holy, holy 
is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They look at him and every time they look at him, it's fresh, it's new, it's exciting. Come on, stand to your feet. Every time they got closer to God, they got more and they got deeper and they learned more. And so I'm telling you this morning that we're gonna learn what it means to pray this year. We're gonna learn what it means to fast this year. We're gonna learn what it means to read our word daily this year. We're gonna learn what it means to, to seek God every day. And it's not weird, it's not kooky, it's not off the wall, but we're gonna learn and we're gonna learn together, amen? We're gonna learn together and we're gonna grow. And so here's what I want you to do. If you want change in your life starting today, I want you to run to this altar. If you want transformation in your life starting today, I want you to run to this altar. If you have family that you're believing for, for transformation, for healing, I want you to run to this altar. God wants to do something. We have a little bit of time left, but I wanna take a moment here and I want us to worship with our whole heart because only he can transform, only he can change, only he can completely, completely eradicate sin. Come on, lift your hands and worship the Lord. Honor him right now. Come on, hands lifted high. Surrender. Surrender. This is where you surrender right now. This is where you surrender right now. This is where you surrender. Come on, lift your voice. belong to you, our careers belong to you, 
Our futures belong to you. Our pasts belong to you. God, we belong to you. We lay down our life this morning as a living sacrifice. We give ourselves in surrender. We give ourselves to your holy ways. And we say, take over in Jesus' name. Take over in Jesus' name. One way. Come on, sing it. From I just want you to repeat this after me. Say, Jesus. Oh, come on. Say, Jesus. Transform me inside and out so I can lead others to transformation. Come on. Say it again. Jesus, transform me so I can lead others to transformation. Lord, I pray right now for every person here, every person in this room, every person watching us, real transformation, that your presence would invade our lives. Lord, let it start with your church. Let it start with your church to grab hold of this transformation and bring people into the kingdom. I pray right now, Father God, for every person that has been struggling on how to approach their family members with different issues and lifestyles. Father, give them your grace. Give them your love. Give them the power in the Holy Spirit to speak truth in love. We thank you for it. We praise you for it. And Father, I pray this year, we've said it, this year was the year of his presence. And I feel we're gonna dive deep. We're gonna dive deep this year. Listen, if you've been resisting his presence, don't feel bad, feel honored. Because that means he desires you. If you've been resisting to go into the presence of God, that means he's near to you and he wants take a step. Don't feel bad. Feel honored. That means he's there and he's close and he's saying, come closer. And my heart this year is that we would all take that step. We would all cross that threshold. Listen, we want our kids to grow up in the presence of God. We want our kids to grow up knowing who God is so they can stand up for righteousness and truth because if you don't stand up for anything you'll fall for everything thank you for joining us this week our vision is to plant churches that are life changing 
If you would like to support our ministry, you can easily do so by visiting our website, PursuitCC.com. Also, follow us on all social media outlets by using at PursuitCC. Thank you and God bless.